This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. Countless Americans have been impacted by the opioid crisis. The addiction affects people from every walk of life. A former addict tells how others can be helped. We really have to be looking beyond treatment. At the end of the day, 9 out of 10 Americans who need help will not be able to access treatment. The treatment gap in this country is 90%. Then, parents naturally protect their kids from harm. But an expert says being overprotective of your child can lead to lifelong problems. You can't put a helmet on them and send them out the door. There's going to be some bumps and bruises. An unhappy child is a healthy child, and every parent should understand that. There's times your son or daughter has to be unhappy. Those two interviews and more are ahead on this week's show. InfoTrack begins right after this. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. A countless number of Americans have been affected by the opioid crisis. Addiction impacts individuals from every walk of life. Our next guest has made addiction and recovery reform his life's mission. His nonprofit organization is called Facing Addiction, and he's written a book titled American Fix, Inside the Opioid Addiction Crisis and How to End It. We welcome Ryan Hampton to InfoTrack. Ryan, you developed an addiction to opioids yourself. Can you tell us that story? Sure. You know, I had kind of a rising star when I was younger. I was really involved politically, did well in school, went to college, had an up-and-coming career, and then in 2003... As a result of an ankle injury and a knee injury that I had while hiking, I was prescribed the high-grade opioid hydromorphone, which is also known as Dilaudid. Shortly after that, ended up in Florida, where I got caught up in the height of the pill mill epidemic. You know, I wish I would have known then what I know now about these drugs, about the opioids. I was prescribed them in the safety of a doctor's office by someone that we're taught to trust. And I know it sounds naive, but at the time... You know, I eventually did become a drug user and abuser and sought out the drugs. But in the beginning, I really didn't know. I did not know what I was getting myself into. I trusted my doctor who said that they were non-addictive. And we now know that my story is not unique. It's the story of hundreds of thousands of Americans. It was obviously, uh, I assume, difficult to get off those drugs. Yeah, it was incredibly difficult. You know, once you go as far down the hole as I did with them, it's almost impossible without a medical detox. You know, I had been on them for so long that when I was abruptly cut off, after they had put in these physician databases so you could see if people were seeing multiple doctors, which I was at the time, I was cut off abruptly. I was in full withdrawal, and that's what led me to heroin. We now know that 80% of heroin users start off with a prescription drug. So, again, it's not an uncommon story. What are some of the challenges that the system faces out there in terms of reducing the abuse of opioids? We know what to do. We know how to end this crisis. We need to be focusing much more on recovery. Right now, all the funding goes to prevention and treatment, which are two very important things. But the Surgeon General's report in 2016 on alcohol, drugs, and health said, the science is out on this, that we have an 85% chance of sustaining recovery if we can make it past five years. So why aren't we looking at a new model that starts to support people in their recovery in those first five years? 
most of the money, I would argue 90% of the money gets tied up in that crisis acute ambulatory phase of addiction, which is that first 30 days. There is no science to support the 30-day treatment model. There is data that actually supports that it does not work. And that being said, we need a total reform of the treatment industry from the bottom to the top. We need to start supporting recovery supports, which includes housing, access to employment, access to health care. People need to be able to plug into peer support communities that we need to have readily available for them when they do decide to enter into recovery. But our treatment system, if people look at the solution just through the scope of treatment, they're missing the mark. We really have to be looking beyond treatment. At the end of the day, nine out of 10 Americans who need help will not be able to access treatment. The treatment gap in this country is 90%. So we need to be looking at different innovations and solutions and things that are being done on the ground to close that gap, heal more communities and save more lives. It is like banging my head up against a wall when I sit with a policymaker and try to explain this to them. There is billions of dollars right now that's being dictated by the federal government that is not trickling down into communities into solutions that work. We need evidence-based solutions, but we also need that money to make it to communities, and it's not right now. We're talking with Ryan Hampton, author of American Fix, Inside the Opioid Addiction Crisis and How to End It. Ryan, as we look at the pipeline, so to speak, of people newly becoming addicted to opioids, and of course we've been talking about the people who are already addicted, has that improved in terms of throttling down the new addicts that are getting into the pipeline, these new policies that have been enacted? You know, I think it's too early to see. Full disclosure, I'm a Democrat, but I support the administration on some of their initiatives. They have done some good work on this issue. That being said, it's definitely not time for a victory lap. The data is just not completely out there yet. But if indicators are correct, it's getting worse. I do not believe that shutting down the supply side of this is going to fully solve this problem. We have to be looking at the demand side. You could cut off all the drugs from coming into this country. We would still be in the midst of a public health crisis, and it is still going to get worse. We need to be looking at solutions for when people are ready for help. We need to be getting people the help that they need same day on demand. When somebody overdoses and they go to the hospital, they shouldn't be just narcan and revived and released is what we call it. They're given Narcan and they're sent on their way. You would not do that to someone who comes into an emergency room that has a heart attack. You would get them care. You'd get them critical care. They would be triaged. They would probably be under observation for a few days, and then they would be given some sort of continuum to follow. We need more education with doctors on how to deal with that. We need more emergency room services, peer support services. We need to be able to treat people with buprenorphine and evidence-based practices in the emergency rooms when the crisis is taking place. These are all simple things that can be done, and they don't cost a lot of money. They just take a little bit of effort, and they need some lived experience at the table to help lead the way. Do you have any statistics in terms of how many users of opioids do become addicted? The numbers continuously fluctuate. It depends on the study. We've seen varying numbers anywhere from under 20% to well over 40%. It really depends. It depends on the length of the time that the person is on the opioid. It depends if it was a legitimate prescription. Age has something to do with it too. Young people are you know, way more apt at becoming addicted than some older adults. I will say though, 
regardless of what that statistic is, we should not be punishing legacy pain patients and chronic pain patients in the midst of this health crisis. There are people who need these medications for pain. They are legitimately prescribed and they should be on them. The work that our movement is doing, we're not trying to take their pills away. I just want to stop seeing my friends die. Now, should we be limiting medication in emergency room settings? Yes, that statistic is actually alarming. Emergency room physicians, I believe, are five times more likely to be quick with the prescription pad and opioids than your normal non-emergency room physician. We should not be handing out opioids to people as its first line of defense when people come into the emergency room. There is a large number of people who do become addicted that way and who do start off in the emergency room setting. If someone is listening and perhaps they have a family member or a friend or a loved one who has a problem with opioids, what would you tell them? That's probably the most important question you'll ask me in this entire interview. Love them. Try and find some empathy. I know it is incredibly hard. I know that some families do need to set boundaries, and I respect that. But don't shut the door on them. Be there for them when they are ready to ask for help. Encourage them to seek help. Do not be silent about it. Talk about it. Don't be afraid to bring up the subject with your loved one. Let them know that it is okay. This is a health problem. It is not a moral failing. I suffered in silence for well over a decade in my opioid addiction. I was afraid to talk about it. My mom was afraid to talk about it. My sister was afraid to talk about it. Make sure and have that conversation. It should be talked about at the dinner table. Be supportive. There are great places to look for help. One place you could check out that's independent is our nonprofit, the Facing Addiction Resource Hub. It's resources.facingaddiction.org. You can pretty much map all resources, recovery resources, treatment resources, prevention resources that you may need right in your backyard. And there is help available. Don't shut them out of your life and always believe. As long as someone is breathing, there is hope for recovery. And the book is American Fix, Inside the Opioid Addiction Crisis and How to End It. The author is Ryan Hampton. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Next, can being overprotective of your kids handicap them for life? That story, coming up. You're listening to InfoTrack. More after this. 